Welcome to another episode of Between Lewis and Lovecraft. Thank you so much for checking us out. The show is all about learning more about the authors that have inspired us, and diving into the stories that they not only created, but lived as well. So join us as we explore the worlds that live just out of reach. Guys, today we are going to talk about some of the works of Lovecraft. But first, his sex life! Mostly with his wife but also, perhaps, a 14-year-old boy. Honestly, Lovecraft is so complicated that we couldn't even do it in two episodes. So remember that if you ever want to add to the show and the conversation, you can always go to our Facebook page and talk to us there. This is the second in a two-part episode series, so make sure you check out episode one before you listen to this one. Unless your brain has expanded beyond the point of reconciliation, and you seemingly seek to drive yourself mad (laughs) if so just keep listening i've got the full list here of all his books of all oh that'll be so helpful like his stories i'm i'm just gonna straight read it later list them all every single so we can rank them by title coolness yes yeah, maybe our listeners will go on to be like, oh, this one should have been better. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, I'm i excited I got that in the back of this book. So, Are you also excited to start talking? Let's start talking about it. About this. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get good at intros sometime, people. Just not I, today. I like the cold opening feel of like... Almost like people are catching us off guard. Oh, yeah. We're like like, mid-conversation and they just walked into the book nook. Exactly. They're just walking into where we record. What a great segue. Thank you. We should probably introduce ourselves first, though. Okay. I'm Tyler. (laughs) And I'm Hannah. Yeah. And you're listening to Between Lewis and Lovecraft, a podcast where we do stuff. I said it earlier in the episode because I do the, all the intros. So the, Oh, okay. So we're just being the, repetitive right now. Yeah, jumping into the stories of people's lives that they not only created but lived. I don't know. <laughs> Something like that. Anyway, we're recording at the Book Nook, surrounded by books. Which is a great environment. It really gets the mm-hmm. the readerly juices flowing. Mm-hmm. And we, we kind of just spent a few minutes getting more acquainted with a book nook than we normally do when we're recording yeah that's because we took some promo pictures y'all did and you'll see in all of them how sweaty and awkward (laughs) i am (laughs) and how i can't have a serious face for more than one half of a second (laughs) one half of one second my brother who took the pictures of us together at one point specifically said to hannah choose a face i can't (laughs) i can't guys just choose a face and stick with it i'm two-faced it's like my favorite thing I've ever heard someone say, choose a face. That's the meanest thing anybody has said to me today. Today. I was going to say, today. in your life? Because that's a really good life. I've had a charmed life. No, just yeah. today. <laughs> but yeah, um, so today we're yeah. talking about one of the authors that's in our title. So yeah. obviously this is a very important episode. Uh, we talked a little bit about the early life last time of H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah, we talked about what makes a Lovecraft. And what makes a Lovecraft is family tragedy. and Yeah. Wandering around a dark mansion. (laughs) Fainting at soccer games so you don't have to play anymore. Yep, and riding your bike around Providence. (laughs) Right, yeah. Today we're going to get into an adult Lovecraft. The Basically what comes out of the oven after that's baked for a couple of years. What do you get? (laughs) Apparently what you get is a lot of racism, uh, slight homosexuality. 
Oh, possible yeah, I was homosexuality? wondering if we were going to talk about that. Yeah, why not? I have questions. <laughs> Everyone does. Everyone That's does. why it's such an interesting topic. Yeah. Because there's no real answers, but yeah. we're going to still dig into it. We're going to make assumptions anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> yes. We're a little bit of fact and a lot of fiction over here. Did you here. <laughs> see how quickly I jumped on the C.S. Lewis spanks people thing? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Someday we're going to talk about an author who's, like, totally pure and doesn't have any, like... That sounds like a boring author. Who would want to talk about that? I don't know. Yeah, me either. Not on my show. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Not on my show. <laughs> but yeah. Not if I have anything to say about it. And he does. Uh, I guess. Um, so, yeah, so we're talking about the, the latter half of H.P. Lovecraft. Do you want to get us started? Yeah, so... We, we've already covered um his dad and his grandpa dying. Do we want to dive into his next great tragedy of his life? His mom. His mom. Yeah. His I mom. mean, we, we talked about her quite a bit. We did talk about like her did, background. But we, and didn't stuff. Talk we didn't about talk about her about death, her death or right. any of that. So ironically or coincidentally, I'm not sure which one it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1918, his mom started showing signs of a nervous breakdown. Right. Went to live with her sister but then eventually got committed to the same mental hospital that his dad was committed to and died in earlier. Yeah, which I think, I mean, would that be a comfort? Or would that cause more of a breakdown for you? You have two crazy parents, like... No, I mean, like, for her. Oh, for her? Hey, we're going to send you to the same place that your cheating, philandering husband died of syphilis in. I don't know. I don't know that she was in a good state to consider that. No? All right. No, well. she, she was already pretty pretty far gone. I'm trying to get comfortable here. By yeah, the he's, way. he's adjusting the mic right now. So much. I was like, I was leaning forward for the whole intro, and now I'm like, I've got a whole couch to myself because Amy's not here. That's right. We shouldn't have given her a shout out. She doesn't deserve it. She's not going to be here with <laughs> She's us. She's not going to be here. Why would we talk about her? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So, she dies. and She died... After complications from gallbladder surgery, which right. isn't that just depressing. Which, interesting enough, enough, slight spoiler, isn't that close to what Lovecraft died of? He yeah, died of like some more, some sort of like intestinal like, thing, right? Yeah, he had small intestine cancer. Right. So it was a gut issue. Maybe it's just, yeah, they're a gutless family. Oh. <laughs> grandpa whipple is turning over in his grave <laughs> don't get me started on grandpa whipple no that's actually a dangerous road to go down yeah so, i've already made the t-shirt for that <laughs> he, he's not lying guys i really did he is not lying while i was doing while i was listening to for edits i was just kind of sitting there playing around and i made a super creepy cute little lovecraft it's actually really good <laughs> she said grudgingly it's actually i didn't have any faith in him um so yeah so so she dies and she dies. what year was it 1921 okay and yeah. so at this point lovecraft's like 31 years old mm-hmm. he's an orphan he's, <laughs> he's an orphan he's a 31 in next year i might be an orphan too so <laughs> You know, like, I'll know exactly You'll what You'll be that Lovecraft. Feels, yeah. Your writing like, will get oh, no. so much better. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that his writing got better after she died? Well, I don't know. He wasn't really even hitting his stride yet. Cause no. It was around the early 1920s when he really, like, started writing some of his works that we know today. The big ones, yeah. Um, I mean, according to my big list at the end of my book here, you said she died in 21? 21. 
Yeah, he didn't even publish or write anything in 21. He jumped from like 1919. Oh, I'm sorry. I uh, I wasn't looking at all of them. Um, Jeez, he wrote so many books. 21, he wrote The Outsider, which actually is a really good book. The Outsider, did you read that one? I didn't read that one. That one's really good. Um, The Nameless City. Uh, The Quest of Ironon. I don't know that one at all. And then he also, the facts concerning late Arthur Germain and his family. Which is like a stupid story. (laughs) The Moonbog. The Other Gods. The Music of Eric Zahn, which is a very good story. Those so he, were all he wrote written all of this in 1921, in or it was published in 21. Those are when they say he wrote them, um, and then they'd say later where they were published. Interesting. Yeah, so he was doing some some okay writing. Like I think he was he was really finding his voice at this point, and um, ironically, there's nothing in any of those stories, at least off the top of my head there could be some because i don't know all of his stories by heart that's why i'm so interested in lovecraft is because i'm i'm getting to know him as i read more of him right um nothing that points to his dealing with the passing of his mom no i don't yeah thinking back he doesn't really write about loss a lot but he does write about people going mad a lot which we talked about a little bit the last time like is that a way to cope with you know, the way that your dad left you sure. and stuff yeah, like exactly. that. Like you're you're making it the responsibility of an outside force that has driven someone mad. Mm-hmm. Not like syphilis. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he was he was well into like writing some pretty solid stuff. Right. And at least in my reading, I found that um, he started selling some of his stories to that horror magazine, Weird Tales, in 1923. Mm-hmm. And they would end up publishing a lot of his stuff. It was weird tales. And then I think there were a couple other ones that bought and published his stuff a bit. Um, oh, yeah. There's uh, Astounding Stories is one of them. One of the like publications that would buy some of his stuff. Yeah. 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 yeah he was writing to smaller um, magazines and he was building a fan base. Almost more than a fan base through these magazines because i mean people would get to know him they would they would um know his writing and and what he was saying and stuff they could write to him and the editors um call him and and all kinds of different stuff so it wasn't just that he was publishing a story and that was the end of it like he's he's building a group of people who are like fanatics for his writing and this is where it's really starting is is at that time when he gets picked up by weird tales yeah and it seems like a really cool way to kind of inter- interact with your readers that people who write like long form novels don't necessarily get right like you said they're writing back to him and the editor's publishing them and stuff like that it's almost like writing on you know websites or whatever where you know, commenters can leave comments on your work, basically Mm -hmm. feel like they know you as an author. Right. So, so he was doing a lot of, of writing for weird tales. You said 1923 is when he got picked up. Yeah. That was what I found. They bought some of his stories then. And that was his kind of first real taste of success. And then it was a year later that he got married. Yeah. And this is like, this is a defining era for, Lovecraft. So it's mm-hmm. 1924 when he decides to move to New York to marry Sonia Green. Who he met at a journalism conference, I think, 
Yeah, we didn't we didn't really yeah. talk about his journalism. I didn't I, look into it almost at all. I so couldn't what's find that? that many examples of it. I think it was mostly him like writing those science based articles and stuff sure. for publication. Taking his taking his his, his childhood uh, slideshows. <laughs> yes, and, and turning, publishing them. And publishing them. <laughs> yeah. So I could see that. So um, yeah, that led him to his wife. Yeah. Yeah. Um and yeah, she led him to New York City, which he did not like. Yeah, so let's um, let's start with getting into who Sonia Green is a little bit. Do you okay. do you know much about her? I don't know a ton about her, other than that she does not seem like an altogether pleasant person. Really? That because um, W. Scott Poole is a huge defender of hers. Oh. Yeah. So he <clears throat> he uses her to kind of start the conversation of Lovecraft's sexuality. Obviously, this is important in a marriage, right? So if he was asexual or homosexual him marrying a woman and traveling to new york that's a big deal because it that goes against what he wants but he was infatuated with her and there was this sort of connection that they had intellectually and she pushed for him to write a lot of the stuff that he was writing and um i don't have anything just off like oh these are quotes from her all that much but there's I don't know. The, it, you said that she didn't seem like altogether a great person. Why do you why do you come at it like that? I just feel like that, especially because after he died, she was um, a little bit mean in yeah. her uh, in what she told a Lovecraft scholar, and I was like, mm, that's not very nice to talk about your ex husband of like two years. That what, did, way. what did she say? Did you see? So she was talking. Um, about his lack of proficiency in the bedroom. Right. Yeah. Well, so the the part that I saw was um, she said that he was uh, adequate sexually, but his temperament didn't allow for too much intercourse. Right? So That seems like a major slight. I guess. You're adequate if in you're, bed, but HP. If, if you're... If the person you're talking about, you're concerned that they're gay, and she's like, I mean, he's not. He like he performed. He's he like, did his Meh. job, right? Like, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I'm. I don't struggle with that. So I don't know what that's like for someone who might not be attracted, but they're still they're bound by societal expectations to to get it up. You know, like. <laughs> well, at least he tried because Sonia told the scholar dude that hp was a virgin when they got married right which isn't surprising at all honestly well he was like 30 something but it's lovecraft we're talking about he didn't go outside (laughs) like he literally was awake at midnight and walked around just grumble like he just did nothing (laughs) but right yeah exactly um but apparently he bought a lot of books and studied before their wedding night so that he could try to perform well and yeah and that's the only i mean if you think about who lovecraft is he's read a lot of anatomy books already he already had an understanding of women but he didn't like also like the arabian nights has a lot of stuff in it so like he has an idea of it and he probably was like sonia i got this (laughs) i've read i've read 1001 arabian nights and she's like god no no (laughs) that's not how it works you need more education but there was like they they did seem 
very much in love, especially when they're corresponding through, through letters. And when they would, you know, when she came to visit him, um, and, and they were pretty inseparable when they first started to kind of find this courtship. And after they got married, like she would, she would make sure that he ate. <laughs> She'd make sure that he'd wear nice clothes. <laughs> She'd take care of him. They were, I, I'm going to get the name wrong, but they took the, uh, they gave nicknames for each other, Socrates and Zithippe, Xanthippe. I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm sorry. X-A-N-T-H-I-P-P-E. Yeah, that's not really going to help. Yeah, Xanthippe. So they have obscure literary, I mean, Socrates isn't obscure. <laughs> it's not that obscure. The other but one I, is. <laughs> I'm sure they get it and they yeah. chuckle about it. Beck and I have nicknames for each other, but like, like dumbass and doofus no i'm just joking um <laughs> do you need to talk to somebody Tyler? <laughs> so hannah she's no i'm joking she and i we we do have nicknames for each other it's something that couples do and it like it seems like they have a legitimate relationship but more of like a best friends relationship almost not a passionate lovers relationship yeah like like super best friends though like yeah like on the edge of being lovers sort of thing you know what i mean like that like if you're watching a sitcom about the two and they're not together they're the two that you're like when are you gonna just fucking get together god you know like they're those people because they're they're so affectionate towards each other and they support each other especially sonia supporting him he didn't do any work he didn't go to new york and start a job he just showed up and he was just right he was a kept man yeah she provided the money. Her family was rich, and they provided the money for him. So, um, I don't know. I like. I think that because of how things ended between them, there's a lot of room for her to be kind of jilted towards him, especially, you know, after he's dead. And, and I think the fact that she never really came out, as far as anything that I've seen, she never came out and was like... Yeah, he was he liked dudes and he was weird and like like she did basically a strip tease for him, right? And but but she put it to very specific music that she knew was going to like kind of the music w- itself would just get him off. Your book is very specific. <laughs> yeah, I know. And like and he like she talks about um the dance macabre, uh, macabre. macabre. Yeah. And, like, she, it's basically about, like, a, a necromancer bringing people back to life. Oh, that would totally get H.P. Lovecraft. Right? So she knew that. And she's like, okay, <laughs> if I play this music while I dance over it, and her dance included her basically coming back to life. Did she have a coffin and everything? Because that would I don't, be cool. That, she probably put a lot of money into the theatrics <laughs> of trying to get H.P. Lovecraft, you know. Nice and, <laughs> nice and hard you know? but like she she does all this work for her for him right she even takes this weird concept <laughs> to try and get him aroused and does it so i don't think that there was too much and i that on her end that i blame her for but i haven't read her letters from <laughs> from after he died or after they divorced well i had just also read that like hp later described her as domineering and stuff but that could be him right. projecting <laughs> and trying yeah. to you know, kind of gaslight. <laughs> and here's here's why I think he would have that because he has this thing called the Kellums. Did you read about the no, Kellums? No, the Kellums. Um, the Kellums is a group of people. It like it was K L and M were the last were the first letters of the last 
of the surname. So L is Lovecraft. Oh. Um, K and M. I don't remember the names of the gentlemen who would hang out with him, but KLM. So they're like, oh, Kellums. And it sounds like Salem's, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but that was the, that was literally, it was like this gang that, that Lovecraft <laughs> created with his friends of like really probably wimpy white dudes exactly dudes that could just hang out all night and do all kinds of stuff together read a lot of books write and talk and go look at architecture this is what lovecraft loved to do and these guys did that right so so sonia he marries her he he comes to new york and he fucking hates new york by the way because there are so many diverse people he described himself at one point as feeling like an alien right like really yeah (laughs) he's so ridiculous he hates so he finds a small group of guys and he starts feeding into this culture to the point where at one point sonia's health starts to deteriorate because she made a bad investment they need money and lovecraft is supposed to go get a job but he's bad at it. He doesn't want a job. He doesn't want to work. Harry Houdini himself offered Lovecraft <laughs> a job. And he was like, no, uh. I don't want to do that. Harry Houdini! <laughs> like, what? This is He wrote a book for, or a story for Houdini, mm-hmm. right? And Houdini loved it so much, he wanted to bring him on. And he's like, no, I don't want to do that. So, so obviously this is starting to get to Sonia because she's like, how are we going to make money? My husband doesn't do shit. It starts to affect her health and she has to go to the hospital. And the, the, this book that I'm reading says he, he visited her every day as long as it didn't get in the way of him hanging out with his boys. Whoa. <laughs> right? Like there are times where he was supposed to go there, but he would end up going and getting a drink with the boys and they'd be out till three o'clock in the morning like just stumbling out into the streets and arguing about stuff and talking about, you know, architecture. (laughs) (laughs) Typical dude stuff. (laughs) Yeah. So like, so this was kind of, I think starting to become the final straw for Sonia of like, look, we're, we can't do this anymore, (laughs) obviously. And then Lovecraft decided he couldn't stand to be in New York anymore. So he moved back to Providence. And I think that it's, I think that if if there is a, a lot of anger from her towards him, that that's justified. And I could see how if she's like, hey, stop hanging out with your boys. I'm in the hospital. Yeah. You that, never visit me. But then the way Lovecraft makes it sound, he, she's so domineering. She's so domineering. She wants me to go visit her in the hospital. <laughs> Guys, I fell for it. I'm sorry. Never mind. I'm team anti-Lovecraft now. <laughs> well, and this is this is the thing. This is when we get to see really the worst of lovecraft well i think i think this period this um, he's always kind of been a douche but so so he moves back to um to providence and and i want to try and find it what year well it would have been like 1926 they were only married for two years right yeah i thought they were married for three well maybe three then it was 27 right um yeah, they, they, like, he moved back in 26, right? And so at this period, we see him really faltering as a husband. He moves back to Providence, and then he's, his racism is just ramped up at this point. Um, he is writing a lot of stuff 
that is very racist. Uh, he's putting it in his stories. Um, a lot of people, I was reading this one article where this teacher, um, he had everybody read the call of Cthulhu. And then he asked them to pick one word that, that represented his, um, theol or his philosophy. You know, he, he was thinking they're going to come back with nihilistic or non-existentism or something like that. All like majority of them wrote racism. Really? And he's like, all I had them do is read Call of Cthulhu. We did not discuss him at all. Wow. And these students were able to pull that out of Call of Cthulhu. And so, like, it's a part of his writing, especially at this point, because soon to come is Call of Cthulhu. And, um... See if I can find a uh, an example. Oh, he he ends up taking this one lady's book, which, by the way, I I want us to do an episode on this one lady. Uh, her book is called, um, I can't remember. I can't find, God God of the Witches. It's, and what's the lady's name? The lady's name is Margaret Murray. And she has this witch cult theory thesis that um, the the witch hunts of, you know, Salem and stuff were there was actually like this cult of people that had started like in ancient Egypt and had like got came over to New England and they were getting ready to spread and that this witch hunt was actually to find them, but it was disguised as a witch hunt. And, um, and so that was her theory. And Lovecraft took that and ran with it saying like that on top of like everybody outside of America are all mongoloids, evil people. Only people from Germany and England are like real people. He would, he would, when Sonya wanted to throw a party, he would say that's fine as long as there's more Aryans than there are mixed race people, right? Like he was. Uh, to be honest, I would say <clears throat> racism was his theology. It was the way that he believed the world worked. It's it's where he placed himself compared to everybody else. Um, and so, I don't know. I just I I because after last the last episode, and I've talked to a few people about it too, like. Like, yeah, we still think it's more just this. The name of his cat was just a product of time. It's like, no, I cannot believe that. Especially the more I read about him, he was so ardently against blacks and Jews. And like his wife, Sonia Green, was Jewish. And she would have to remind him of that. He'd be like, yeah, I don't want too many Jews there. And she's like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm of the Hebrew people, right? Like, what are you talking about? And he would he would have to back off of that because he didn't know how to respond to the fact that oh right oh whoops my wife my wife I is Jewish <laughs> yeah so yeah uh, he's super racist at this point I think this is a defining moment for him these few years where he is a dick just an absolute dick and we really get to see his personality come out for the first time because his his mom is dead his wife is gone. And now it's just him being him. And he's really figuring out what he actually likes. And it's not women. <laughs> and it's not other races of people. 
Do you think that is reflected in the fact that so many of his protagonists, for lack of a better word, are also huge assholes? What do you mean? What what protagonists are assholes? Well, like I'm thinking of one of my favorites is the Temple, which did you read that one? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the submarine one. Yeah, with uh, the super German yeah. German guy. Yeah, and he's like the main character. And yeah. spoiler alert, he ends up killing everybody on his submarine because right. they want to, you know, get out of their bad situation. <laughs> right, and but he's, he's like, like nope. no. And yeah. then he set, basically sentences himself to die too. And I'm yeah. like, wow, you're a terrible person. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like a lot of the stories go that way. Like, I don't know, the cave, like at the end of the story, you find out plot twist. The dude who was lost in the cave killed another human oh, because right. it scared him. Yeah. And then um, the, uh, the house and the picture in the house. I don't think I read that one. Um, a guy goes in to get shelter from the storm, and um, he sees this. The guy that owns the house has all these art uh, depicting people eating other people from Africa, uh, and then like there's like blood dripping from the ceiling, so he knows that he just killed someone or something oh like that. Um, well, and then in rats in the walls, or yeah, it's the rats, rats in the, the walls, wall. right? Yeah. Um, the dude like discovers his family history is that they were all cannibals, and then he eats someone. I'm like, this is a terrible moral. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. there are no morals in H.P. Lovecraft stories. Right. It's basically very cynical, and <laughs> everything is dark and terrible. Yeah, I mean that's the point of Lovecraft is that there is no, there is no good. There's no balancing act of good versus evil. There's apathy. There's darkness and nothing. And that is his point. And we get into that, especially now. So after this point, um, when does it come out? When does Cthulhu come out? 28. 28. Because that's when, yeah, he's got... um... He's got the the quest dream um, in 26... Uh, Silver Key is a follow-up to that, and those are those are stories that follow up with a character from the um, the uh, people are gonna hate me who love the uh, account of according to oh I think I know the statement of Randolph Carter right so that's the quest of unknown Kadath and Silver Key are follow-ups to that, and what they do is they leave you with this yearning for answers and they don't answer them they basically are like eh, well you know that's how the universe works it it doesn't answer things for you and call of cthulhu has a lot of that stuff in it as well where we don't get all the answers we get an idea of what's going to happen and then that's the end of the story and he moves on to the next story in that book and then the book ends with him going yeah i don't want to live anymore right yeah so many of his mythologies that he creates are like that it's like he's got these seemingly super complex historical like societies like in the temple they find what they believe to be atlantis at the bottom of the ocean no explanation for that right in other ones it's like these people are oh i can't remember which one it is it's where like this one tribe comes in and kills everybody off and then like a thousand years later or something they rise from the grave and swarm in and like kill them and none of that history or mythology is ever explained right it's just like oh we're all dead now this is just what happened this whole city was wiped out and i think so that's why i think that cthulhu is so representative of um of lovecraft you know it was written right after this period where he had a bad breakup he lost his mom you know he is 
frustrated with New York and um, he's come home and he's really trying to put a lot of these complex feelings into his writing. Um, and, and so Call of Cthulhu takes a lot of the themes that he's had, a lot of the writing styles that he's been practicing with and puts them all into one. And it creates this monster that represents nihilism. You know, the, the great god Cthulhu is not even a god himself. Cthulhu is just another being uh, under the old gods and under the elder things and, and all this stuff. And and yet in Call of Cthulhu, Cthulhu is somehow the main antagonist. And, um, I mean, honestly, in that book, Cthulhu is kind of a bitch because he gets stopped with a boat. Yep. And that's I it. I mean, it was a big boat. Was it? I thought it was like a yacht. <laughs> <laughs> well, a yacht's a big boat. That's true. But like... It wasn't like a not, warship. Yeah, not like a barge or, you know, something that has some heft to it. It was just like some dude's boat. And um, so I think that there's... He's working through a lot of his feelings of frustration with life. And he's talked about... People have said like... um they were concerned because they thought he was carrying around a bottle of arsenic just because he might want to end it at some point at some point. And he didn't know when that was going to be. So he just kept it on him. Right. Like that's deep. That's depressing. That's bad. And, but he's working through it in his writing. And I think that that's a big part of the, the Lovecraft style is he doesn't have answers and he doesn't, he kind of doesn't want to have answers. And I think that to me, this is a big thing. The number one problem with people is that they don't change or they don't want to change, right? Because people do change, but people don't want to change. And when you have a God, when you have something that is calling you to be different, you can either say, no, you don't exist. Or you can answer that call and say, okay, I, I do need to change. And that's that's a very Christian thing for me to say, right? Because then I go into the Lord Jesus Christ is calling you to change. I'm not going to do that. But for Lovecraft, I think that he made the conscious decision that there is no God. Because if there is no God, then I don't have to be a better person. Then all this is just pointless. And then I don't have to be a better husband. I don't have to go get a job. I can lay around and do nothing. I think at this point, when he's writing Call of Cthulhu, he is making that statement of... There is no point, and that's what I have to believe so that I can keep writing my stories. That was my that was my Call of Cthulhu take. No, it's a it's a deep take. Yeah, <laughs> you, th- you think people are gonna yell at me about it? They'll be like, "No, it was after the Mountains of Madness that he was feeling that." <laughs> I think that he these are I all think, stories that represent I don't, that. Do you think he ever actually worked through it? Because I don't think he did. I think no. he kind of stayed miserable forever, and then he died. But that's that's what I'm saying is he chose that. He chose that that life. He chose to live in a way that that there can't be a god yeah because if there is he has to do more he took the easy way out he's mm-hmm. like i never have to improve myself I'm exactly just gonna be a nihilist forever exactly everything which is, is one thing when you're like 16 and took your first like <laughs> i don't know literary class or whatever yeah and it's a totally different thing when you're like 40 <laughs> 40 yeah exactly and that's what he's pushing at this point is 40 years old and um, his relationship with Sonia continued too. Like they didn't just like, Hey, we're done. Like, um, she went on vacation somewhere near Providence at like a farmhouse. <laughs> so he, so, so she invites him. She's like, Hey, 
Lovecraft. Hey, buddy. She sent him a text like, yeah, what you up? up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and so he he came to this farmhouse and stayed like a weekend, and she she brought him because there's all this ar- architecture there that he she knew that he would love, and and um, I think they were there for like three nights, and they slept in separate bedrooms, and then like on the second night, she um, she kissed him because they had a nice romantic day. She kisses him and he pushes back and he's like, I don't think that we should, I don't think that's good for us anymore. And so she's like, oh, all right. And then like the next day, like they just go out, do their thing still. They're still friends. That night she doesn't try it again because. (laughs) Because she's a girl and she's smart. Yeah. She figures it out finally. And they even continue to correspond and and stuff. So there was still a relationship there. Um, I think that it was a matter of like Sonia realizing like, this is who Lovecraft is. He is all in his head. And what he writes is what he is. Right? There's no like, oh, yeah, I write horror. But I'm, I'm also a really fun guy. I like to play I'm golf. I'm on a bowling and, league. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, no, that's not Lovecraft. Sonia was in some, like, deep, deep need of girlfriends to tell her to dump his ass. Yeah, well, <laughs> and think, stop trying to get him back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably true. She eventually moved to California. And I think they pretty much cut off. I, I think they kind of corresponded a little bit, but they never saw each other again. Lovecraft after, wouldn't after have that. done well in California. Too sunny. No, absolutely not. <laughs> and he's like, when does the sun go down? What's that darn thing going to set? Oh, all right. Yeah. This is awkward. <laughs> um, okay. So what's your next point? Oh, I was just saying that those were kind of the big ones. Call it Cthulhu at the Mountains of Madness, which is that his actual longest work? Either yeah, way, I think so. It was too long for Weird Tales. They rejected it. So it didn't get published until a long time. Or it got serialized in 1936. So like right. five years after he sent it to Weird Tales. Right. It got serialized in Astounding Stories instead. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is with Weird Tales, they they did this a lot with his work, actually. They rejected a shit ton of his work. And then he'd resubmit later with almost no changes, and they'd immediately buy it up. Yeah, it's super weird. They did it all the time. They did it with Call of Cthulhu. They did it with Shadow over Innsmouth. Um, all these books that, I mean, they're some of his best books, and they would always reject it first. Was time. it just like the editor was changing or something? Like they had a different person in command? or It was definitely the editor who was making the choice to yeah. do these things. Yeah. Yeah. So And Lovecraft had like some contentious relationships with his editors, too. He did not take um, suggestions well at all. Oh, no. Like, he hated criticism. I remember there was one where the editor was, like, trying to change um, all of the spellings to the American style because Lovecraft always tried to spell, like, color with U's and stuff, like, the British way because mm-hmm. he thought British people were better than us. Yeah. And the editor tried to make him change it back, and he wrote, like, this long rant of a letter about the editor, like, totally yeah. chewing him out. And I'm like, dude. But the thing is, um, he was writing for the pleasure of writing and making art. He didn't write to make money. Yeah, that's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> I think color, he was not doing well. color Out of Space made like 25 bucks total. Um, and so, like, I think he, he looked at writing as this very, um, I don't know. It, like, he, he took it very seriously. He didn't think he wrote anything wrong ever. And to the point where he's like, it's, it's not about making money. I'm, I, this is a calling. This is what I do as a person. This is who I am. So like, don't criticize my books, you know? He's kind of like that stereotypical, arrogant 
creator, yeah. creative type. He's like, nope, I can do no wrong. <laughs> um, okay, so before we start getting into his works, there's one last person I want to talk about. And who's that? Robert Barlow. I don't even know who that is. You don't know anything no. about he? Okay. Do tell. If, um, if H.P. Lovecraft had sex with any man, it was Robert Barlow. 100 is so like invested in his sex yeah. life i'm just yeah. gonna throw that out there it's interesting it's interesting stuff because like it's so contentious like you don't know where he stood and and these are relationships that he built with people now a big thing that he would do is he would have a I, like i talked about before weird tales astonishing stories they would have a following he would have a following through these magazines and he would start correspondence with people through those magazines it's how he met a lot of the women that he had in his life it's also how he met 98 percent of the men in his life and he knew how it, he knew how it looked through their correspondence he was very open with them he was very loving towards them and a mentor towards them to the point where he started kind of um, kind of distancing himself in certain ways. Like he would call them my son or my grandson or this or that. Like ways to where he's like not a lover, right? <laughs> and he would refer to himself, especially in correspondence through the like editor's uh, um, column in these magazines. He'd call himself Grandpa Cthulhu, which I That's super love, cool, actually. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm going to do a t-shirt of Grandpa, Grandpa Cthulhu. Cthulhu. <laughs> <laughs> um, Buy the whole line, guys. Yeah, you can get Lil Lovecraft and Grandpa Cthulhu. <laughs> That's actually a sick nickname. <laughs> <laughs> so he he would have these conversations with people, and it's one of the reasons why there are there is such a big debate of like, did he like women? Because he really liked men. Even if even if we're not talking sexually, he really just liked the company. He liked being around them, and the the so when he met, he started talking to Robert Barlow through mail, right? Um, and probably three years into their relationship of talking, he decided to take Robert up, take Barlow up on um, the uh, invite of hanging out down in Florida with him. Shows up. Barlow's like 14 or 15 years <gasps> old. Yeah. Just yeah. when he couldn't get more controversial. Right. <laughs> So, Lovecraft only stays for seven weeks oh my with Wait, the Barlow family. So, this kid's parents are there and stuff? Yeah. Well, the dad was gone. Um, the mom was there, but Barlow's whole family st struggled with, like, mental problems. Like, they were kind of on shifty ground a lot of the times. Um, and so, yeah, so he stayed for seven weeks. Um and they were inseparable, 100%. And then eventually, Lovecraft left, um, and then Lovecraft came back, I believe. And I, I might be getting this the things wrong, but there, essentially at one point he stayed for another like 10 weeks or something like that throughout the summer and, and then into August. And, and Robert Barlow tried to convince him to stay through the winter to be like, you know, it's nice here in the winter. In it's Florida. Florida. You know, it's warm. And... Um, and they spent birthday, like, um, H.P. Lovecraft's birthday, 44th birthday together. And, um, like they were, they were hanging, they were, they were pals, they were dudes. Right. And then at one point, 
um, Barlow's dad got transferred to Kansas. And Barlow convinced his parents that it'd be better for him to go to Providence without them. So then he lived with Lovecraft for three weeks before going to Kansas, I think. Um, so, yeah, so, and then in that time, they spent another birthday together. They would go out at midnight and just, you know, he'd show them all the places around Providence. And they'd talk about horror books. They'd talk about science. They'd talk about history, architecture, all the things that Lovecraft loved. And he had a, a legit relationship with this guy. A big part of this, and it's not like, oh, shocking, but a big part of this is that Robert Barlow is gay. And he was kind of open about it. He ended up as being a professor in New Mexico, um, and he would have sex with his students. And one of his students eventually was like, hey, you need, like, blackmailed him and said, if you don't do whatever he wanted, I'm going to tell everyone that you're gay. And because of this, uh, Robert Barlow killed himself because he didn't want the secret getting out. But it, like, through their correspondence, um, there was, it was pretty well known <laughs> that, like, Robert Barlow was in love with Lovecraft. Um, so. Well, who wouldn't be? He's such a charming man. I know, right? But it's just, it's, there is. There's so much to his nature that's so interesting. And I, even if they, let's say they didn't have sex, which I can, I can believe that they didn't. I don't believe that they didn't, <laughs> but I could believe that they didn't. Um, like, it's, it's this relationship that Lovecraft sought that's interesting to me. He liked intellectual relationships. He, he was a better husband through correspondence with Sonia By than he mail, was yeah. for the two years he lived in New York. Um, and, and they, they talked a lot through that and, and he liked to be around her because she was intelligent. Um, and same with all the boys through the, the magazine that he would know. And especially with Robert Barlow, he, when he found someone who genuinely loved his mind, he would love them back unconditionally. So that was, it was interesting to me that that was like, I, I knew about Robert Barlow but I didn't know that their relationship was so deep. Do you think Lovecraft loved him? Yeah, like I said, I think uh, even if it's not a sexual thing, I think that, that Lovecraft was in love with with people who were intellectual, who he could connect with and conversate with and go through graveyards at midnight with and talk about who's buried here and where did their family come from and look at the architecture of this. He loved people who were willing to listen to him, blab on him, listen to him, stuff. but also be a part of that conversation. So, yeah, I think, I think that's why I don't necessarily, I wouldn't say that Lovecraft was homosexual. I wouldn't say he's heterosexual. I don't know if I'd say he's asexual. But there's there's this sort of weird place where he sits because he's not looking for... He's just a brain. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just, yep. So, that I just wanted to bring that up. So now let's talk about his books. Okay. <sighs> cha, cha, cha. <sighs> <laughs> so, um, which ones did you say were your favorite last time? My favorite is From Beyond. Really? Okay. Do you want to talk about why? I guess. I mean, if you're putting me on the spot, I will. Tyler's on the spot. He has to tell me why it's his favorite. Now. Say it. Right now. I'm trying to look up He hasn't said it yet. It's not his real favorite. He's not a fan, guys. When did he write it? 
from beyond. To infinity from beyond. And from beyond. No. Um, this is freaking me out because I don't see it in this in this list, and I'm like, I know he wrote. Maybe that. it's not even a Lovecraft story. <gasps> that would piss me off. Not nah, is. I found it. 1920, but not published until 1934. 1920? Is when he wrote it. From beyond, there it is. <laughs> yeah, 1920. 1934, it appeared in Fantasy Fan, and then reprinted in Weird Tales in 1938. And they then must have rejected it the first time. <laughs> Stuart Gordon, <laughs> yeah, probably, adapted it for his film of the same name, in 1986. I'm going to have to look that up because I've never, <laughs> didn't know It's about probably that. not good. Stuart Gordon's a great director, though. He did uh, Reanimator. I'm, I'm like 90% sure he did Reanimator. I don't know what that is. Okay, so <laughs> Reanimator is a, is a story by Lovecraft about a guy who, um, I'm also looking up when he wrote that. He's looking up two books at one time. I am looking up two books at one time. This is what I do. <laughs> He's got five books out right now, guys. Where are they? It's like only when I'm looking for them that I can't find them, too. Um, Herbert Herbert West Reanimator was written in 1921 through 1922 for serial publication Homebrew, famous as the basis for the 1980s cult horror film of the same name. Lovecraft received $5 for each installment. Um, and so I'm pretty sure Gordon Stewart also is the guy that did that as a movie. And Reanimator's cool. It's about, it's basically like a Frankenstein story. A guy has another younger, uh, friend who's the narrator. And this is a very common theme throughout Lovecraftian books where the, the narrator is the submissive character to the main mm. character or something of that nature. They're very submissive. They do what the other person says, no questions asked, or if they got questions, the person's going to get mad at them. Sometimes people got straight up roughed up by the <laughs> other person. Um, they they work at a college mortuary or something like that, and then they start bringing people back to life. Or they try to, but everybody is kind of fucked up when they're brought back to life, and eventually they, they kill Herbert West because he created them. Seems about right. Very Frankenstein-y. Very Frankenstein-y. Anyway, From Beyond is about... <sighs> Oh man, the it's tangent. it's it's a it's a short it's a short story. I I listened to the whole thing probably in twenty minutes. Uh, I read it a long time ago as well, and it's about a, a guy who comes to his friend's house um, after probably several weeks of not being there, not hearing from him, and, and not seeing him because the last time he was there, um, the narrator told his friend like, "Dude, stop trying to do this science experiment," because you do not have the temperament to succeed at this science experiment. You're, what you're trying to do is open the mind to other dimensions. And either you're going to fail and you can't, you don't handle failure very well. So you're going to just keep failing and then you're going to kill yourself. So stop doing that. Or you're going to succeed and you are not equipped to deal with that. Like you don't know what's going to happen. Well, he wasn't wrong. Right? So uh, the guy kicks him out of his house right and then several weeks later he gets a telegram he goes over and the whole house is like empty and dark and the servants are all gone like nobody's there to 
to open the door for him. And he goes, and the guy, the friend shows up and he's all weird and stuff. And he's like, Oh, I've done it. I've done it. I've done it. And so he takes him down and the guy's like, where's the servants? He's like, Oh, they're not here anymore. <laughs> right. And you're like, okay, this guy's nuts. And so then he takes him down into this room where he's got this machine and then he turns the machine on and immediately the narrator starts seeing the color ultraviolet. And the guy's like, yeah, you didn't know you could see ultraviolet, did you? But our bodies have all these different organs that have turned off their senses, but we have all of these senses, and we're examining the different... And then, like, the guy starts seeing, like, little bugs that are in the air that we breathe, nope. and he's like, oh, man, this is fucked up, right? And then the, that's what the narrator says, almost exactly word for word. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm paraphrasing hard here. And... Uh, and so as the narrator's describing all these things that he's starting to see more and more of because his senses are opening up more and more, the narrator is like, I've done it. I have made a machine that opens up our senses to see the things that are beyond our senses, to see the things that we've closed ourselves off to. The thing is, we close ourselves off to these things because we need to survive. And if you can see them, then they can see you. <laughs> you remember this I one I remember now? this one now, yeah. yes. And so then he's like, I turned on the machine, and unfortunately the servants also caught part of this and saw the things. And then they went to turn on the light or turn off the light or something, and they moved. And the things saw them and killed them immediately. That's why they're not around. And you didn't think I could do it. You told me not to do it. So fuck you. You don't look behind you. There's a monster <laughs> right there. Just look right there. And then the guy like pulls out his gun and shoots the machine. And then the, the, the friend, I'm using air quotes now, had a heart attack or something. And the guy's like, but I still see the monsters everywhere. Dun, 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 dun. Like that's the end of the book. Yeah. I just, I love that because I said it in the last episode. It's very Poe-esque in the way that there's this revenge that you don't even understand is happening until like the end. The end. But then it's Lovecraftian in the way that there's technology and the beyond and, and all of that. So um, I, I, and it, you know, it kind of get, just gets to the point. <laughs> like there's not a lot of playing no, yeah. around with it. It's a pretty short one. Yeah. It ends well. Sure. It, it's punchy. <laughs> All of the servants are dead and the guy tried uh-huh. to kill his friends. Totally ends great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And after, you know, the guy who did the thing is dead. They pin all the murders of the servants on him, even though the bodies were never found. They were never found. They were never found. Yeah. Yeah. So how about you? How what You said last week oh that... God. I had so many favorites. <laughs> um, I already mostly talked about the temple. That one's like one of the early submarine adventure stories. Right. Which is just further proof that Lovecraft is ahead of his time. Definitely. He's so... Yeah. Yeah. He, he liked them before they were cool. Is the temple... The temple's the one where he ends up on like the island of a bunch of different roots and things, right? Nah. He ends up underwater dead. But okay. happy about it. Right, because they go into the temple in the submarine, right? The submarine... So after he kills all the, the crew and stuff, because they're revolting because... So I think they started the curse because they killed all the British people on the life rafts. Right, And of then course. they... Uh, went down underwater and when they came back up there was that dead person dead soldier clinging to the hatch of the submarine yeah and they just kind of pushed him off but first they took a little ivory like token off of his body right, they were yeah. like oh this looks cool and valuable yeah ha, ha, ha. and then they go back <laughs> down underwater and weird stuff starts happening and the crew's like mm, this isn't great boss yeah but then he's like vicious and whips one of them yeah and then the next time they try to revolt he shoots two of them right and i'm just like 
guy, this is not going well. (laughs) And then eventually, everyone's dead. The engines have blown on the submarine, so you can't navigate it. Right. It can't go back up. So he's basically resigned himself to dying down there. It lands on the ocean floor. He looks out, and there's this temple. Right. And he's like, ooh, this must be the lost city of Atlantis. So he gets out and explores in one of those dive suits or whatever. Yeah. And he finds all these, like, images of the same token that they stole from the dude. Right. So I would presume that's how it's all connected he's cursed because they stole the thing or whatever right so then he gets back into the um submarine and it's basically out of air and electricity so he writes like this long manuscript saying what happened and like read this and yeah know my story and then he puts on the dive suit and goes out to die in the temple wow yes very wow there needs to be a movie of this like there needs to be a lot of very visual yeah they are they very much are i think we're getting a the Color Out of Space is also one of my favorites. And we're getting a movie of that one with Nicolas Cage. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was, like, excited for half a second. Then I got really, like, What is excited. this color doing? <laughs> That's my Nicolas Cage impression. Oh, my gosh. Do you know when that's All, supposed to come out? Uh, no. No idea. Yeah. I think that's it's going to probably do Sundance and then it'll probably come out in theaters or something like that. Um, color Out of Space is basically a guy's investigating this. Uh, what was it? Um He's investigating somewhere, and nobody will drink the water out of this reservoir. Cursed and water. It is cursed water. Yes, exactly. Because as he investigates, they find out that this this farm had a, a meteor hit, or not a meteor, but a, what what would be a meteor? An asteroid or something? Yeah, a meteor. Meteor hits this farm, and it starts radiating this weird color that nobody's ever seen before. And then, like, this weird growth starts to grow on everything. And eventually, it's, like, this radiation that just ends up, like, mutating everybody on the land. And then, like, and then the people um, built a dam and the the water rushed over the top of it. And, like, basically, it's now just a stew of this radiation. And it's supposed to be the water for Arkham, which is his his fictional city. Well, I can't wait to see Nicolas Cage <laughs> hopefully not drink the damn water, but... Yeah. What's in this water? <laughs> What's in this water? The the customers here in the store keep looking at me weird because I keep shouting randomly. Well, that's what happens when you shout randomly. Yeah, for sure. That's how H.P. Lovecraft's dad ended up in an insane <laughs> asylum. <laughs> what's uh, What's one of your other favorites? Do you have one from later on in his career? Because the temple's no, like pretty early. I right? don't. That is... My main issue, I like all of his early stuff, and most people who I read or listened to think his his work got drastically better after New York. Yeah. And everything I like was, like, pre-slash-during New York. Yeah. So I'm wrong, apparently. But <laughs> The Temple is great. Rats in the Walls is great. Yeah, and I'm looking The Cats through... of Ulthar is my third favorite one. Right. Because cats I love cats, and I love a good revenge story. And, and it's, that's exactly what that is. It's great. It's very, like mythical and it's very short and kind of like poetic and yeah it's a good revenge story yeah because spoiler alert the cats eat the couple who went around killing cats yeah yeah that's a big spoiler eaten to death way to go cats (laughs) picked clean yeah that's a good one you still should (laughs) you still should it's great um under the pyramids is the book uh, the story that he wrote for harry houdini Mm. um as harry houdini did Harry Houdini pay him more than $5 for it? I don't know. Because somebody should have. Go- it was ghostwritten, so I'm guessing he got paid for it. Um, I don't know. Cool Air is also a good one. A uh, guy 
finds out that there's this person who lives in a building who needs to have it cold all the time and then he finds out it's probably because the dude was dead the whole time and his body was like could never overheat or else he'd like melt the music of eric Eric zahn kind of follows a little bit of the same theme of like living in a in a building and you have a roommate or not a roommate but a, a neighbor who's really weird and this person is um they're uh making music every night and it's super fucking weird one second megan can you let paul in (laughs) (laughs) they locked him out the uh, other owner of the store is currently locked outside i had to interject for him (laughs) (laughs) curse of yig is super weird are these all later ones um these are 1924 through 27 so the dream quest of unknown kadath if you like cats that's a good one because there are singing cats in it I think singing. They're talking at least. And honestly, <laughs> when I was reading the the Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath, no joke. I believe that they should make a musical based on <laughs> like a better creepy version of Cats. Yeah, the cats aren't like the biggest part of it. There's a lot of stuff. It, it goes everywhere. It goes from like under like graveyards where there's a whole graveyard world all the way to the moon all the way to outside of time and space and like seas in space that you can sail boats on and things like that but like it's just so ridiculous that i legit feel like you can convey all the emotion that they convey in all of it through song and it wouldn't be more ridiculous than the original story you know what i'm saying yeah so i if someone out there is listening, they're trying to figure out, man, how do we turn this into a a movie? Do it as a musical because it's ridiculous. I'm trying to figure out who's that dude who directs Boz Lerman. There we go. He needs to direct it. Who's that? He's the one who does like uh, Moulin Rouge or whatever. Got it. And then I think he did like the the new version of Romeo and Juliet, but I might be wrong about that. Okay. Yeah. I know Moulin Rouge, and I, yeah. I'm i done with that. I'm good. You're done with that? <laughs> Until he does the dream quest of Unknown Kadath. You won't be watching I anymore, Boslerman. Yeah. Um, Pikmin's model is really weird and scary and interesting. Also, he makes a... Um, um, in Unknown Kadath, it's a short novel, and it contains a lot of stuff from his other stories, like a lot, like Cats of Ulthar. I think it's the cats from Cats of Ulthar who are on the moon. That he's talking to. I wouldn't put it past those bastards. Pikmin's model is in there as well. Um, so really, really interesting stuff. Uh, his later stuff, you get into Dunwich Horror, which I talked about on the last episode mm-hmm. with the guy who might, the grandpa might be the dad for the daughter's children. So that's weird. At the Mountains of Madness is his longest story. And in most people's opinions, probably his best because it's it's a longer story. Um, the Whisper in Darkness was really scary. Um, Shadow Out of Time. Um, the thing on the doorstep is kind of fucked up. Because that one's probably the closest to him writing about homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's about a it's about a guy who gets married to a chick who's like some creepy like sorceress type chick who goes to college, so she's really smart and stuff. <laughs> uh, and that's where he meets her. And then she like has enchanted him. And he, they've talked about how like it almost feels like she can change bodies with people mm-hmm. when she stares at them. And then like, and then he learns that she's been changing bodies with her, f- with her dad um, so that they can find a new body. And so whenever he has sex with her, he's essentially having sex with his father-in-law. It's 
who's super in weird his girlfriend da- in his body. daughter yeah Gross. It, yeah uh so I, i'm not gonna give too much away <laughs> on a scale of one to arthur Jermaine, how gross is your family <laughs> um and then the the last big book that he wrote was the haunter in the dark did you i didn't read that one it's a it's a it's big a, as in like successful or big as in long no big as in successful um and it was almost a retaliation not retaliation um there was a book or a story written in weird tales where the author wrote it very obviously the main character is lovecraft Mm. right and so all the fans all the weird people who are into weird tales so much that they know this wrote to the editor and the editor's column saying lovecraft you need to write a response and make him the main character of your book and so he wrote the haunter in the dark and, and so that's die some gruesome death <laughs> i'm not gonna say you can go read it so that was the last one that he really wrote before he died in 1937 yeah yeah nailed it <laughs> yeah that's when he got his diagnosis and he uh died the same year yeah in providence though so at least he died in the perfect city in america yeah with all the whites surrounding him all the white people <laughs> um so that's that's lovecraft and to be honest there's so much more about him that we didn't cover i mean getting into the books would be i i like it's interesting but I don't want to give too much away of too many books. Because part of the horror of stories is the twist, right? Um, so there might be stories here and there that we dive into. We'll probably dive into The Call of Cthulhu because that's his most well-known story. And just kind of examine that. But we're not going to do that right away. It won't be the next episode. But No, we'll let him him lie for a little, <laughs> for a bit, little bit. Like Cthulhu waiting on Ooh, the ocean floor. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so that's that's... Probably, what would you say? Twenty-five percent of Lovecraft. Twenty-five. Yeah. 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 In general, because Tyler came into this a huge Lovecraft fan. Mm-hmm. I had read literally nothing by him. That's too bad. I like it. I prefer his shorter works. Yeah. I think he tends to get a bit verbose sometimes. Yeah. His descriptions are a little bit, a little over the top. Yeah. Occasionally. What What would you say you connect with? when it comes to Lovecraft. Would you say you are a, a fan of Lovecraft's work? Oh, for sure. Okay, so what would you say you connect with? The creativity, the world building kind of, even though he does leave you kind of like wondering what the heck just yeah. happened and where these people came from and like what the mythology is. Yeah. I think he had a good mind for creating worlds mm-hmm. and that's really cool. Mm-hmm. And the twist. I love a good twist. So. Sure. Even if it is sometimes kind of kind of lame or like, yeah. it yeah. was his mother-in-law. <laughs> mother-in-law. I'm just like, oh yeah, you got me there. Yeah. Didn't see that coming. So for me, it's 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 difficult because the more I read this, the more I realized how incredibly racist he is. Yeah. Right. And um, I already knew he was racist, but I didn't realize to what extent. So it was difficult. Um, and I, I think that there's. To be like, you know, oh, his racism and his works are two completely different aspects. Like I said before, he he was what he wrote. Like, there was no bowling league after finishing the story. <laughs> he didn't do anything else. He he was writing. And um, 
And I think I view it the same way that I view Lewis's Christianity in his books. It is a part of his storytelling. Um, is it the main part? Is it the only part? No. It's just where he comes at the storytelling process. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think that you can ever blame someone for jumping at writing the way that they've been taught to jump at something. And Lewis jumped at it from a way of saying, oh, you know, what is God like? You know, how can I describe God better? Or how do I how do I put this argument into a, a form that's more digestible? Lovecraft wrote of monsters um, that were beyond comprehension because he didn't want to comprehend them. He was very materialistic and nihilistic. And so he was trying to write these horrors that he himself was dealing with. Um, and he he wrote racist stuff because he was racist but that doesn't mean by reading them and enjoying what he's writing and being changed by them makes you racist you know it's it's about understanding where he's where he's jumping off mm -hmm. and i think the reason why i, I really like lovecraft is because <clears throat> for me my whole life like there's this thing where like Christians will constantly tell you like, oh, you're just being tested by God. He's or he's going to make you you're being put through the fire so you can come out stronger in the end. Right. And the my whole life has been like that. My parents divorced when I was seven. You know, like I almost flunked out of high school and I didn't get a job after college doing what I wanted to do. And like all these bad things have happened to me in my life. And it's always people would say like, Oh, God's just preparing you for something great. And I'm like, okay, but like when, like, cause this <laughs> is starting to get annoying. And I feel like that's how Lovecraft was. He constantly was having a battle with something. And he was, and like the, the big one people would say are like, you know, once he went through the fire of, of New York, he came out a better writer. And it's like, He'd been having struggles his whole life. You know, his dad died when he was three and grandpa and grandma and mom and his wife was not what he wanted. And he was probably struggling with his own sexuality and and he didn't like when anybody criticized his writings. And so everything was a fire for him. He was always being made better to be a better writer. And so I think that's why, like, you do see a huge jump in a lot of his writings because he's constantly being made better and he he has to approach things differently um and so i think that's why i identify with his works a lot because he is struggled and he's what, up front about that mm -hmm, what he is writing is about a struggle with madness with life and love and so i think that's why i, I like his stuff the most not like more than other people but what I most like about what you stuff. most like about his stuff. Yeah. So I respect that. Cool. I'm cool. glad you respect <laughs> that. <laughs> Mad respect, bro. So now we need to say goodbye to people. We do. But first we have to tell them some very important information. Yes, we do. Which I'm opening on my computer right now because oh. last time I didn't do a good job. That's too bad. A teaser for next episode. We're going to talk about someone I don't know anything about. Yes, and that I do. And I have read everything and I've seen all the TV and movie <laughs> adaptations. And I will be so knowledgeable, And guys. you're going to talk for I'm gonna 89%. Talk. Yes. And I will just be here like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. That's because we're going to talk about one of, I would say, the preeminent mystery writers of the last decade or so she kind of exploded onto the scene 
she's had mad success with everything that comes from her dainty little wrist while she's writing, <laughs> presumably with a pen or a quill. Who knows? Jillian Flynn. There we go. Boom. Boom. Jillian Flynn. Um, I legit have never read anything. I've never seen any movies. I have. I know. I know Jillian Flynn is a person. Yep. And I didn't know if it was Jillian Flynn or Gillian Flynn. So that's how much I <laughs> don't know about her. <laughs> yep. So Tyler just showing his, his ignorance of pop culture right there. Yep. I know that Ben Affleck was in a movie. It was in a movie, and the book was better. Yeah. Spoiler Uh, alert. um, You want to talk about where people can find us, or should I talk about that? I can talk about that, because I struggled last time. But you can find us at our website, which is lewislovecraft.com. Yeah, where we're going to put some pictures up now. We're going to put some pictures up now, because we have them. Yeah. Uh, If you have thoughts, ideas, pitches for future episodes you can Ooh, yeah. email them to us at lewis and lovecraft at gmail.com mm-hmm. you should also follow us on twitter and instagram are we gonna do a twitter should i even say this uh we'll do twitter i don't do twitter much I don't so hate. i do instagram and facebook follow us on instagram and facebook yeah not twitter yeah not right now at least twitter's lame you can talk to us on facebook you yeah. can you can talk to us on you Instagram. You can like our stuff. Yeah. So follow us on Instagram. On those two. Yes. Facebook. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Facebook is facebook.com backslash Lewis Lovecraft. Oh, I'm glad you know that because I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. I've, I've had to send a link to like a hundred people in the last week. So. Nice. Um, you know, just because I'm sharing. we I put up the video that has our little cover The video is really good. You should go check it out if you haven't already seen it because <laughs> this is being released and not today. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to thank Jace, Jake Basson for the awesome intro music that we have. Um, Jake, you are awesome. If you guys want to check out more of Jake's music and maybe collab with him or ask him to make music for you you can find him at soundcloud.com backslash jacob basson that's g-a-k-e-b-a-s-s-e-n he said g but he meant j did i say g (laughs) oh man (laughs) i was like wow that's some interesting spelling i meant g i meant j j J. yeah jake basson jake basson super talented how how can hey jake (laughs) (laughs) how can people help us out um the best way is to subscribe and rate and review us online yeah that's not the best way that's one way is the best way to send us cash uh, definitely yeah. the best way. <laughs> the best no. way. Um, you, yeah, subscribing, rating, and reviewing are all great oh, ways. Tell a friend. That's Duh. the best way. Seriously, you I guys have, have no idea how. how we're not going to be buying ads for the show. We're not going to be trying to do a billboard, although that would be fun. We did take a bunch of fun pictures. Um, <laughs> no, the, the, the best way that you guys can help us is by telling a friend. Um, if you don't want to do that, subscribing tells us how many people are listening at any given time. Rating and reviewing will help um, iTunes put us in front of other people who might be interested in, in us. So um, definitely, those are three ways. Take a total of what? 15 minutes out of your day? Not even. We just talked for an hour and a half almost. If you could just take 10 minutes. 10 minutes. That's <laughs> enough time for a quality review and yeah. an email to your grandmother about how good we are. <laughs> and don't forget to write to Grandpa Cthulhu. And make sure you tell him how old you are before you invite <laughs> him to your house for seven weeks. That's very important. It is very important. Yeah. Life tips. 